Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the Kincaid and Breckenridge Highlight Show podcast. Uh, today on the program, we talked about uh, what will be the next airline to launch in Canada. New Leaf is a discount carrier, and they bring discount to a, a whole new low. Will they survive? Also, the great NHL all-star controversy. Greg Wyshynski, the Puck Daddy blogger from Yahoo Sports, joined us to talk about why fans voted John Scott into the all-star game and why the NHL is trying to keep him out. Be listening to Kincaid and Breckenridge weekdays, 930 to 1230, right here on News Talk 770. All right, welcome back. Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. The airline industry in, in Canada getting a bit of a shakeup, it seems. Uh, there's one new discount airline that has launched. There's a couple of others that are about to launch. Uh, this this new one, New Leaf Travel, they're called. Uh, they're uh, serving seven what they call underserved Canadian markets. Uh, airfare is low as $79. Now, there's also a Calgary-based company called Jets Naked. Love it. Uh, I think you have to wear clothes. No, 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 no. You know, I know nothing about it. Haven't seen any materials yet, but I'm just going by what I feel. All right. Well, let's, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. There's also one called Jetlines out of Vancouver. They're close to launching, we understand. But they're going to come in and, and try to be that, that bare bones discount carrier. Yeah. Actually, Jets Naked has yet to flesh out their offering. Ground. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Gulp. <laughs> is this what Canadians are looking for? Now, the thing with this uh, next leaf, right, it's pretty bare bones. Right. You can get a, a real hot deal on, on a flight, but, you know, even bringing on carry-on is going to cost you extra. Yeah. It's, right? Luggage is going to cost you extra. This is a model that, that we see with, like, Ryanair, for example, in Europe. And I, I don't know. Personally, I don't think that Canadians are quite ready for it. Um but, you, you know, you've got a, a, a whatever the fare is to get you from A to B, and then you're going to pay for things on top of that. If you want to bring your purse on board, they're graciously going to let you do that. You bring a bag in to put it in the overhead compartment, 25 bucks. Uh, you, if you want to pick your seat, that costs money. It's a bit more to stay at the front of the airplane. It's, it's a little bit more still to stay in one of the exit rows where there's a bit more legroom. So the experience is really pared way, way down. Uh, but New Leaf, uh, in their messaging on their website, that lets you know that, hey, it's, you know, we're not compromising safety here. You, know, you don't have to compromise your safety to get good value. You just got to compromise some of the services, I guess. Well, and from what we understand, WestJet has already reduced fares on, on certain routes to compare, to compete with this, this airline. And I think maybe that's, if you know, don't have any intention of flying ever with, with New Leaf, maybe you still benefit if it means lower fares as a result of this competition. Uh, Barry Prentice is a professor of the Asper School of Business, uh, University of Manitoba, Department of Supply Chain Management, uh, an airline industry analyst. Uh, Dr. Prentice, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Uh, does it surprise you that we're seeing the, these new entrants? Why, why has it taken so long for, for the more discount, the, the lower-end uh, airlines, to try to make a go of it in Canada? <laughs> I think part of it is just the history of Canadian uh, air travel and what we've seen, uh, it's a big difference between flying around with Ryanair in Europe where you've got over 300 million people and flying across Canada with 35 million and 
they're a very compact territory and we're all spread out along uh, the U.S. border, so we're long and thin and all the routes parallel each other. So it's a, it's a very different environment to try and compete in than it is in Europe. It, does that make it pro- cost prohibitive then to operate a business like this? I mean, there's a, there's a big difference between flying from Toronto to Vancouver or, I guess, Hamilton to Abbotsford as opposed to, say, London to Warsaw. That's right. In fact, the, the distance would be considerably more, uh, but it's also just a function of how many people are actually flying and what are the, the volume of traffic you can draw from. Because in our case, you know, we have this uh, very linear network, so you have two airlines already flying those routes, and you're trying to be a third one or a fourth or a fifth, for that matter, if, and trying to find a market. That's, you know, it's a fight for customers is the big issue. In Europe, you've got more of a square-shaped market with lots of different competitors flying different routes and places. So um, it, it is a different market, and we have to look at the Canadian one. The other course is the history of Canada. We've, um, I have lost count how many new startups we've come, seen and uh, come and go uh, since deregulation, but it's got to be in the neighborhood of eight or ten. Yeah, well, I mean, is, is there a par- parallel here to, to WestJet itself and WestJet launched 20 years ago? There is. Uh, they launched with three aircraft and they launched with a, a very low-cost model and they, they stuck with it very well, but one of the things I think was different is that they were fighting in Western Canada, that was where their base was, against the Canadian Airlines, and, and Air Canada was quite happy to see them beat up their competitor. And then, of course, uh, they succeeded in finally putting Canadian Airlines out of business, and Air Canada merged with them. By that time, WestJet was unestablished, and they they were the second airline at that time by default. So it is a little different situation, and the price differences were, were different as well compared to what... Uh, uh, we're seeing right now in terms of two airlines. So uh, it is different. I'm not going to say they can't make it, but it, it's it's tough sliding. Well, yeah, I mean, you talk about an environment where WestJet was able to, you know, bite by bite eat Canadian Airlines lunch. And now they're established as as what would see today as a competitor for an airline like uh, Canadian. Maybe not as many global destinations, but certainly WestJet is an international carrier that also specializes in a lot of local travel. These guys, New Leaf, the example we're talking about today, uh, they are only a local carrier. So is Canada, don't you think Canada is well enough served? Uh, even though they claim there's some unserved pockets, it's still generally well enough served to uh, prevent a local airline from launching? It's true. Uh, I think they are. But, they, again, uh, price is the most important issue for most people buying anything. And, uh, you know, they're only flying essentially out of here once a week uh, to start with. Uh, whether they'll pick up, I don't know. But they have only got around four air, aircraft. So it's not like they're going to flood the market with seats. And they'll be there as a price comparison. So it's interesting to see WestJet actually respond to this. I, I thought they would have um, more likely ignored them, uh, you know, continued to offer, you know, free carry-on bags. And by the way, when you get to the airport with that carry-on bag, if you didn't book ahead on the air, on the uh, website, instead of twenty-five dollars, it could be as much as seventy dollars to have that carry-on. So, wow. you know, the the charges, the surprise charges you get are things that people really don't like. And I think there will be some pushback from that. Well, what does that tell us, then, the fact that WestJet has responded? Well, I guess it, it says that the, they don't want to share the market. They, they, a new entrance coming in, you better be prepared for the for the big guys to, to match your prices. And given that they can continue to charge the regular prices on all their other routes, 
uh, they can afford to lose money on a few routes uh, against this new competitor and try to put them out. And, and that actually is a business strategy that we're all familiar with called a price war. Uh, you enter into a price war as a new entrant uh, to try and get them out of the market before they get established. You know, part of this, uh, I mean, beyond price and services experience as well, um, is the is the no frills experience not is it too frillsy i guess for it's like i guess you know it's weird but do we get some sort of airline surveys where where passengers are saying i could do with a lot less i feel like i'm paying for too much well i i think we've got a part down pretty much now to where uh, there isn't a whole lot i mean yeah. I don't consider it a frill to have them take your bag and look after it right. or, or a frill to be able to have a carry-on bag. To me, that that's just a, a, a part and parcel of the service. Uh, we don't need the, uh, a dinner on a China anymore uh, to, to be satisfied, and people have uh, abandoned that idea for short flights especially. But I think there is a base level of service, and there is a a certain feeling of nickel and diming. I mean, this whole uh, problem, in my opinion, maybe creating the opportunity for this new discount airline is the fact that WestJet has moved away from its low-cost model. Now they charge for seats, and now they charge for a check bag, and you know they're, they're starting to move on to the same process, so they've created really the opportunity for a new airline to come in and do the same or because what's the difference? You're, all you're getting is a seat and a seatbelt with WestJet, too. I'm just waiting for one of these airlines to come in with, now, if enough of you guys kick in 10 bucks, we'll get a co-pilot on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be. And when they start putting the, the coin-operated uh, washroom door, that's when that's when I call Uncle. That's well, right. do they do they have to find a balance in terms of, of marketing themselves? Because you know you want to sell that low price point and get people excited about how cheap you can get a, a ticket on one of these flights. But if people are trying it for the same time, or for the first time, rather, they, they don't want to feel duped, right? I mean, that's going to leave a sour taste in people's mouths. So, wow, I thought I was getting a great deal with these guys, and they charged me for this and charged me for that. They nickel and dime me. So how much do they need to, to balance their message and, and make sure that people are going in knowing what to expect? Well, I think they, they've done a pretty good job so far because, you know, they what they're saying is we'll give you a seat and a seat belt. Everything else is a la carte, right. and you choose what you want. But it's, you know, one thing to do that, and it's another to be there, and, and all of a sudden your bag, oh, now it's a $50 charge because it's overweight or something. I mean, this is something that, uh, that the uh, Ryanair is famous for in Europe, is these extra charges. And, and I don't think, you know, people generally don't uh, like Ryanair. They'll fly it, but they don't really like it. They call it crying air. <laughs> there are some names like that. Yeah. Hey, uh, can, you, can you stand by, please? We want to continue this conversation sure. after a quick break. All right, we'll do that. Uh, Barry Prentice is our guest. He's a business professor at the Asper School of Business, uh, Supply Chain Management Department at the University of Manitoba. We're going to take a quick pause here, and we'll come back with more. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge. This is News Talk 770. Hey, welcome back. I'm Roger. He's Rob. We're talking to Barry Prentice, uh, professor at the Asper School of Business, University of Manitoba. Uh, Barry, one of the things with Ryanair, if we're going to use that as a, as a discount model, um, is that they got a lot of people in some expensive hubs that they fly out of that will fly to cheaper places. So, you know, you'll, you'll spend 79 bucks, you leave London, and you go to Warsaw for the weekend. That's why I brought up that example before. It's mm -hmm. a quick, quick two-hour flight. You don't need a lot of frills in, in that short period of time. And there's a, a bigger economy picture that lends itself to that kind of a model. Have we got people in Hamilton who are saying, man, i got to get to Winnipeg. This place <laughs> is just killing me. 
Well, we wish that was true, and, and uh, as long as they don't look at the thermometer, maybe that would be true. But uh, uh, the reality is that this is an underserved market in, in terms of, you know, both cities, I think, are, are like ninth and tenth in population in Canada. So, but the connections between them aren't that great. But there is a large area in southern Ontario you can reach from Hamilton, the whole Niagara Peninsula, uh, parts of uh, southern Ontario, and up to London and Guelph and so on. They're actually quite convenient from uh, Hamilton. So I wouldn't rule it out as being a, a destination for a larger area. Coming the other way may be more of an issue. But from here again, you know, the Greyhound had an interesting model where they had flights that met in Winnipeg, and then you transferred airplanes and you went on. And so you could get to various destinations at a, at a pretty reasonable cost. And that may be a model that would work again. It's hard to say what people are willing to put up with. Well, and it's you know it's interesting you mentioned Greyhound. I just wonder with you know with this kind of model, are they are they trying to steal passengers from Greyhound as much as they're trying to take passengers from WestJet? No, I think what they're trying to do though maybe is follow the Greyhound model. You you may recall it actually was fairly successful. It flew Hamilton, Winnipeg, and and a few other places, and and it was also uh, operated the same way. Uh, New Leaf doesn't own any airplanes. What they're doing is they're leasing, or what they call wet lease, so they get the pilots, the crews, the airplanes, and all the maintenance from uh, Flair, which is owned by Kelowna Flightcraft in, in Kelowna. So they provide all the lift, and really, in some respects, they're like a reseller of tickets. They, they buy the, all the seats on the airplane, and they resell them, but they go a bit beyond that because obviously they do baggage and, and they have gates at the, at the airport and so on. But there, there really is a model very much like the old Greyhound model, which was working. If we recall, at that time, it was really a case of Laidlaw, their parent company, which sold them out before uh, this thing really got established. Uh, maybe Greyhound would still be here. Do you, get, do you get the impression that they can be profitable in the first or second or third year? You know, it's quite possible uh, that they can be. Uh, again, it's a matter of, uh, we have low uh, fuel prices right now, which help. Uh, we do have this very high uh, U.S. dollar, which discourages travel from Canada to the U.S., or at least, you know, that's a major destination for, for tourism for us. So maybe people will fly a bit more within Canada. And, of course, uh, they have a, an opportunity to be the first to try this new ultra-low-cost system so they're getting a lot of advertisement. I mean, we're talking about here on the radio, that's free advertising for them. I know. And people know about it, <laughs> so maybe they'll get started. Well, we reached out to them, and they didn't have someone who could uh, come on on such short notice. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder, though, what it says for the, for the next uh, low-cost carriers that are coming in. I mean, do, do, do that, are they waiting and seeing, or do you think that, uh, that their launch plans are completely unchanged, uh, unfazed by this? Well, I think they're waiting and seeing because uh, one of the problems is that, uh, you know, we aren't going to be talking about uh, the next one, notwithstanding the, the intriguing name of, of, of Jets Naked or whatever it is. We're not likely going to be giving them the same attention we have to this airline because they're the first ones starting it out and trying it. And I think, you know, people have talked about, you know, the wisdom of starting out in February because not a lot of people are flying at that time of year, but you need a, a little while to get all the, the bugs out. And they want to have their system set up so they're really ready to go with the summer vacation time when when there's lots of people who want to travel. I don't think there's any problem filling their airplanes in the summertime. It's those other uh, three quarters of the year 
when there's less people traveling. And that's, I think the gloves will really come off in the, in the fall. Okay. Interesting. Barry, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate the insight. My pleasure. Bye for now. All right. Barry Prentice at the University of Manitoba, Asper School of Business. Some thoughts from him on the uh, airline market and a bit of a shakeup. Because, um, I mean, you also have uh, in Ontario, I guess you got Porter Air. Yeah. Right, which is, is kind of a, a competitor to the big, I guess we call them the big two, right? But uh, th- this is, intends to shake it up a little bit more. Now, there's no way to catch one of these flights in Calgary as of yet. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other catch here, right? Yeah, and you sort of wonder if WestJet won't be, like, really protective of their of their home turf here. Because it's, it's tough. They, I mean, because I mean, Abbotsford is right next to Vancouver, so you got that as an option. you got yeah. Hamilton next to Toronto. There, there's no real alternative to Calgary International, and it's tough for these upstart airlines to get that access to the yeah, airport. It absolutely is. But, you know, I look at this airline, and I, I see what their flight plans are, and it's sort of like, how are you going to make a go of this? I mean, you talk about Hamilton and you talk about uh, Abbotsford. Now, those airports are, in some cases, more accessible to people who live in those big cities. Like, believe it or not, there's a, there's a good swath of Vancouver. It's much easier to get to the Abbotsford Airport and cheaper to boot mm-hmm. than it is to get to Vancouver. But if you're fly, if you're flying out of Hamilton, pick pick your destination. Where do you want to go? Saskatoon, Halifax, Kelowna, Winnipeg, or Regina? I mean, those are the only options. Yeah, but I mean, if you were flying to New York and you had a much better deal to, to fly to Newark as opposed to, to one of the two that are right in New York, right. I mean, Newark, Newark's right there anyway. And if it's a cheaper flight, why wouldn't you? That's the thing. You know, if you're flying to Vancouver and you got a much hotter deal to fly to Abbotsford, well, why wouldn't you? Same thing with, with Hamilton. So that could work for them. But then the other routes, Halifax, Kelowna, Regina, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, right? You're, you're leaving out some, you know, all of Alberta, obviously. <laughs> And uh, all of Quebec, obviously. So, well, I hope it works. I mean, you know, more competition is way better. And I certainly don't wish ill of any business that's uh, trying to make it in this world. Uh, but I just think it'll be um, <clears throat> turbulent. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go again, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a break here. We're back with more Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. News and Conversation Station. All right, welcome back, Kincaid and Breckenridge. On a Monday morning, still to come, we will revisit the, the controversy from last week that certainly hasn't gone away regarding the government's new guidelines for best practices for school boards and dealing with uh, gay-straight alliances and other issues uh, affecting LGBTQ students. Uh, we'll get a different perspective uh, from John Carpe from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Uh, we'll open up the phones uh, for your calls. That's coming up after 12 o'clock. All right. I, I'm going to say this. Uh, the 2016 NHL All-Star Game marks for the first time in the history of mankind that uh, I, I might actually be interested in giving it a peek. Because up until now, and, and I know this is true uh, for this year's version as well, but the, the All-Star Game has been like the worst demonstration of what NHL hockey is supposed to look like. Now they've just decided we're not going to even play hockey. We're going to just do like a three-on-three thing. Mm-hmm. It'll resemble hockey. Uh, but it's got some controversy around it as far as the fan balloting goes. And joining us on the phone to talk about it is Greg Wisinski, uh, writer for the Puck Daddy blog at Yahoo Sports. Well, Greg, let's get the background on this story first. I mean, where this this whole idea of John Scott playing in the All-Star game first came from. Did, did you have a hand in this and in, in getting this, this ball rolling? Oh, yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> it began on a podcast I do with Jeff Merrick from Sports, but that's called Merrick vs. Wisinski. We kind of came up with the idea of, you know, this new format where they play three-on-three hockey. 
Uh, wouldn't it be interesting to see someone who doesn't play hockey all that well in that format? Uh, and John Scott seemed like the perfect guy. Uh, he is uh, one of the few remaining enforcers in the league. Uh, he is not exactly the most skilled player, but he's also a guy that has shown in the past that he can have fun with it. Uh, this is a guy we're talking about who once wore a T-shirt depicting himself scoring his only goal of the season. So we kind of thought, yeah, that's the sort of guy we'd like to have in the All-Star game and have him experience that. So we kind of put it out there. Some other podcasts picked it up. And then the good hockey fans and on Reddit are the ones who really flooded the ballot box uh, to get John Scott with the uh, most vote total, or the highest vote total for anybody in the All-Star game. Now, at this point, Rob, do you think we can park the conspiracy just over here for a second? Maybe we'll deal with that a bit later yeah. in the interview because I think that Greg's idea sort of examines the All-Star game for what it has been for decades, which is possibly the worst demonstration of ice hockey on planet Earth, and, <laughs> and, and tries to infuse something really fun into it that fans would actually say, oh, I'd pay a dollar to see that. Is that the, is that the case? Well, not only that, but I mean, if you draw a comparison, let's say, between the NHL All-Star Game and something like the Major League All-Star Game, Major League Baseball's All-Star Game is the one where it's a meritocracy, where, where you know, you want the elite players, the players that have shown they belong there in the half season of play uh, to have the honor of, of joining that game. And obviously there's additional meaning with the home field advantage aspect of it to the playoffs. Um, the NHL All-Star Game has literally gone through, I think, 3,000 format changes <laughs> in the last 10 years. Uh, it is all over the map. We had North America versus the world. We had uh, the fantasy drafting. It, it's not the same vibe as, as an all-star game where being selected means something uh, to the point where you've had players actively seek not to go so they can get a few days off and go to the beach. I mean, Sidney Crosby being the greatest example, he's only played in one all-star game throughout his entire career. Some of that's due to injury and some of that's due to doing the not wanting to go. Uh, so the, the Scott election, you know, campaign, it, it seemed to kind of fit. And it wasn't the first time that fans had sort of gone down this road before. And Rory Fitzpatrick being the most famous one where he, you know, was voted uh, like a, a third-pairing defenseman, a journeyman, was voted uh, in, a, in a fan campaign to a very high vote total. The NHL actually allegedly tossed out votes that were his to keep him out of the game. And there have been some other examples, too. But, but Scott's the one that succeeded and, and by far was the one that is the most uh, egregious of the candidacies because he is a seven-minute-a-night guy who fights. Well, look, as you say, I mean, the NHL has, has played with fire before with uh, you know letting the fans have, have a vote, and you'd think maybe they would have learned their lesson. If they don't want this kind of thing happening, why do they open up to fan voting in the first place? Well, in this case, it's because they thought it was going to go away. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there have been other candidacies for players that that were sort of unworthy that did go by the wayside eventually because people got bored. Last year, Zegmans Gergensen, the player for the Buffalo Sabres, got voted in because uh, he's of uh, Latvian descent and all of Latvia flooded the ballot box. And I guess they didn't think that that would be the sort of thing that happened for Scott. So for the first time in my history as a sports writer, in my history covering all, all-star games, the NHL actually didn't send out any updates on vote totals during the campaign. And during the voting, they actually didn't post any vote totals on their website. They actually got rid of any mention of the fan voting on their website unless you went all the way down the screen towards where the copyrights are. So they ran away from it as fast as they could in the hopes that it would go away, but it didn't. And then when it finally came to pass, 
they kind of continued to run away from it. You'd think the NHL would have made a bigger deal out of a out of a, a, a goon. Uh, the fans voted into the All Star game, actually getting the highest vote total, but they treated it as sort of just another little detail in their press release. And I think that was the signal that maybe they thought he would never play in the All-Star game. I'm right. It, it's quite clear that there's got like some quality control initiative behind this. But if that's the case, would it be disastrous for the NHL to just tell the fans, you don't get a say, we're going to let the coaches of, uh, say, the Blackhawks in Tampa Bay last year, the two cup finalists, they're going to draft the teams and that's who's going to play? That remains to be seen. I, I suspect that it'd be fine by a lot of fans if they just did it that way. But I also think that it's playing with fire if, if the event seems to exist as the fans' game and then you literally tell them they have no input in this game. Uh, I think all-star game and fan voting are sort of synonymous in the eyes of a lot of sports fans today, and to take that away from fans could be disastrous. I do think, obviously, because of what happened this year, they're going to uh, limit the choices in the next fan voting, whether it's you know, the number of candidates you get or the number of players that are actually selected. But I also think that based on what we've seen so far, and this John Scott thing isn't settled yet, he, he spoke to the media last night and says he hasn't heard definitively if he's in the game or out of the game. Based on, on the way the fan voting has been kind of tossed aside by the NHL, I, I really think that they're playing with fire in the sense that you're going to have an even more motivated electorate next time around to find a candidate like John Scott and get him into the game. Uh, and I think that situation gets diffused if Scott plays, to be honest with you. Right. Well, what's your vision, by the way, if he plays? To just kind of have like a gorilla on the ice looking for an opportunity <laughs> to, to drop the gloves in this friendly? Or do you see him more in like a black suit, skinny tie, fedora, sitting on the bench, tapping guys on the shoulder and going by the name Red Scott for this one? No, I think he plays. And, and, and part of it, too, is, you know, there, there's been sort of this misconception that it's mean-spirited, that we're trying to see this guy, you know, pass out on the ice, having to skate back and forth in the three-on-three. And it's more like, I honestly wanted to see what he could do in the skills competition. Scott said, if he went to the All-Star game, he would take part in the the hardest shot competition. He would get his chance in the the breakaway shootout competition, which would have been fun. Um, And honestly, like, the bar is set so low for John Scott in an elite skills competition type thing. I think anything he does gives him the, the, the fan pop, gives him, you know, the celebration. Uh, we, we would all be kind of rooting for him. And, and that's the essential, the essential mistake that the NHL made in this entire thing, which is they completely, mis- didn't, uh, completely underestimated what the fans really wanted here, which is to have this sort of folk hero moment where the guy gets voted in and he's a goon. They saw it as a blight on the game. I think a lot of fans came around to thinking it would have been a really fun thing to have in the game. And so when they turned their back on it, and the Coyotes turned their back on it by trading them and then having them buried in the AHL by Montreal, I think a lot of people were really turned off. And you can go on social media now and see hashtags of boycott the All-Star game and free John Scott, and I don't think that's the reaction the NHL thought they'd get. Okay, let's let's go through the sequence of events as, as we understand it and try to figure out what happened here because, as you say, I mean, the NHL – didn't think this would happen. They didn't want it to happen. We're led to believe that there was some some pressure put on John Scott to bow out of the game to say thanks, but no thanks. And and he seemed to embrace the idea. It, can, can we can we say that with some degree of certainty? What we know with some degree of certainty is that the NHL offered him, and the, and the Coyotes may have as well, offered him and his family a trip to the All Star Game. You guys can go to Nashville, have a good time, experience the whole thing. 
even if you don't play. Uh, Scott turned that down. There's also been some talk that the NHL may have even offered him a winner's share uh, because it is a good amount of money for a guy like John Scott. I think it's like upwards of $100,000 something like that for, yeah. for him if, he, if their team won the game, and that's, that's a pretty good chunk of change. Uh, I don't know if that happened or not, but obviously that didn't do the trick either. From Scott's perspective, he kind of came around to it. Like at first he was like, oh, I don't know about the stand vote thing. Don't vote for me. Uh, and then kind of winked and said, well, but it would be kind of fun if you did. And then eventually he just kind of embraced it wholeheartedly and said, I'm excited to go. I'm really happy to go. A guy like me is never getting into the All-Star game, and I'm excited for me and my family to go and for a chance to be a part of this. Um, the talk behind the scenes from, from a few people I've spoken to that they're, they know Scott a little bit is that there's a defiance to him when it comes to the NHL because he's been suspended on multiple occasions. Uh, the, 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 the loss of salary that came with those suspensions was upward of $80,000, which is, again, a lot of money for a guy like Scott. And the talk behind the scenes is that there was a certain sort of protest vote he's filing here by staying in there when the NHL asks him to step down. Uh, and, uh, and obviously it didn't very, it sit very well with the league. So as far as like the conspiracy theory goes that uh, Gary Bettman or whomever uh, gets him dealt to a situation where he'll be out of the NHL and buried in the minors, at least until this thing blows over, you don't have to reach very far to get there, do you? <laughs> you really don't. And I don't, I don't necessarily want to believe that's the case because that's that's a that's a le- I mean I know the X Files are coming back, but that's <laughs> a level of nefarious scheming that I didn't think the league was capable of. But you know, I, I, for me, where I'm standing, you know, the the Coyotes felt like they had to make this trade now because uh, Jared Tenorti, the player they acquired from Montreal, was being looked at by other teams. They thought there was a chance that they waited on it, they might not get him. And according to the Coyotes, they had to include Scott in the deal because they needed to open up a, a contract space. And they didn't want to put Scott in the minor league and, and pay him for not playing, basically. So that's their story. But the thing that really I found odd about this whole, this whole trade um, was that it wasn't just the Coyotes in Montreal making the trade. In order for the trade to happen, a third team had to get involved because Montreal didn't want to take a restricted free agent back in the deal where they have to negotiate a new contract and, and, and own their rights. They wanted an unrestricted guy where they can let him walk away after the season with, uh, with no harm, no foul. So the third team that got involved wound up being the Nashville Predators, who had such a player. The same Nashville Predators that are hosting the All-Star game, the same Nashville Predators whose general manager, David Boyle, is on record calling the Scott thing a disgrace and, uh, and bad for the game and, and, and hoping it, it failed because it would have made the All-Star game uh, a poor experience. They've got a lot of money tied up, up into that game. I just found that part of it to be very odd that they happen to be the other team that made this trade happen in where John Scott is going to be buried in the AHL and maybe not playing the All-Star game. So that's my that's my Fox Mulder moment with this whole situation. Well, I guess the one thing that doesn't make sense, though, if Montreal is going to be the, the ones to, to bury the body, if we want to use a mob metaphor here. I mean, what, what's in it for the Canadians, though? Why, why would they be a party to this? I don't know. Uh, didn't they just play in a winter classic? <laughs> I believe they did. <laughs> no, I don't. Listen, it's, the conspiracy theory thing is, is, is a fun thing to think about, and there are obviously some very odd coincidences involved in it. Um, but I, even I can't go to the idea that the NHL uh, orchestrated some convoluted trade to give everybody plausible deniability and and get John Scott out of the game. I think the, the direct thing to say about the NHL is that they've, they've run away from this, and they probably thought 
in some way, shape, or form, Scott would be ineligible for the game, uh, either demoted by the Coyotes or demoted by another team, or that he'd decline to go. And, and that's the reason they've, they've decided to run away from it. But that was a mistake. Like I said, I, I think the fan vote was was what it was, and, and everybody knows why it happened. But when the results are in and the guy gets the highest vote total amongst Patrick Kane, Yamir Yager, Alex Ovechkin, you know, all these other guys, uh, that's that's a that's something you have to tap into. I think if you're the league, I think that's something you have to acknowledge and have fun with. And they did the complete opposite thing, and I think in the process alienated a lot of people who now see John Scott as being the victim of of some chicanery. Yeah, and it kind of puts the pressure on the game to actually be like to overperform now, doesn't it? I mean, if you're not going to give the it fans does, what they want, right? Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think part of the reason the, the NHL was so upset that it happened this year is because they did change the format, and they were really excited about this division versus division, three-on-three uh, thing that they're going to do in the actual All-Star game, being that the All-Star game last season was one of the single most unwatchable events in <laughs> professional sports that I've ever seen. It was, you know, 100 goals and the stupid cannon going off every two seconds in Columbus. Uh, so I think one of the reasons why they didn't like it is because this John Scott thing overshadowed their chance to market the all-star game as this fabulous new three-on-three tournament. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it could be that we get done with all-star weekend and no one's even talking about it because the thing was so darn fun. And I honestly don't know on the ground in Nashville where I'll be for the all-star game covering it for Puck Daddy on Yahoo Sports. Uh, I don't know what the reaction will be from those fans because you're talking about a lot of like Predators fans and NHL sponsors and friends of the league and, and not exactly the, the people that have been voting for John Scott. So I don't even know if it will be an issue with, like, protest signs in the arena and stuff like that either. All right. Well, Greg Wasinski, you got the plug right in at the end there, but we'll do it again. Puck Daddy for Yahoo Sports. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. Anytime, boys. Thanks for having me. All right. There you go. Puck Daddy himself, Greg Wasinski from uh, Yahoo Sports. So he kind of got the ball rolling on this, but not everyone thinks it's it's a great idea. Don Cherry doesn't like it. Not at all. <laughs> Let's take a break here. Maybe we'll hear from Grapes on the other side. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Hey, welcome back. Kincaid and Breckenridge Show. Don Cherry, Rob. We would have to play all of this, but on Coach's Corner on the weekend, he was not impressed. Anyhow, you jerks that it put him up for to be in the All-Star game. What you've done, you've, you've taken this kid who was doing pretty good, playing six minutes, played 12 minutes, didn't matter. He's an Arizona NHL contract. What you did was you took and put him in the minors now, and he's earning, I'm sure he got a two-way contract, and he's making American League money. Look what you did to his family. There he was, high roller in Phoenix, and now he's got to go to the Rock, where he's going to make eight bucks an hour. He'll have a job at Tim Hortons serving coffee to Sidney Crosby. Well, it's odd, because Don Cherry then seems to buy into the notion that this trade was executed in order to get John Scott out of the All-Star game, Mm -hmm. and yet he's still... Blaming the fans for that. Yeah, exactly. He's he's in this conspiracy theory where he says, if the vote had never happened, this guy would still be skating happily in Phoenix, six to twelve minutes a a, a game. What what is it? Which is it? Is the NHL vindictive? Are they trying to control their brand and their message? It's kind of like saying, yeah, the nine eleven conspiracy theories are true, but they had to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like you buy into the conspiracy theory, then you justify it after the fact. It's all right, it's a unique approach. <laughs> Let's go to the phones real quickly here. Uh, hi, Sean. How you doing? Good morning, guys. Uh, I'm I'm well. I think there's uh, sort of three different things that have been brought up here. Uh, we'll come back to the conspiracy theory in a sec. 
I want to talk about the blame game and, and the finger pointing as well, because there's there's uh, you know three different parties here that have, have been pointed to the the fans, as Don Cherry just said, the uh, uh, the NHL with the conspiracy theory, and of course. Uh, does John Scott have culpability? But before I do that, I just want to quickly tie in uh, your, your last uh, interviewer made a very interesting point about sort of folk hero, uh, that folk hero component that yeah. the NHL could have and should have tapped into. And I think it's interesting. 28 years later, after the 1988 Winter Olympics, what do we remember? If I ask you to remember who got what gold medal or silver medal, you won't. But yeah, you'll right. remember the Jamaican bobsled team. And you'll remember Eddie the Eagle. And in fact, Eddie the Eagle has made a movie, or they've made a movie about him coming out very soon. 28 years later, they're still talking about the folk hero, Eddie the Eagle. And I think the NHL really missed the bus on that opportunity, as, as your interviewer uh, indicated. With respect to who's to blame, uh, I don't agree with Don Cherry with respect to the fans. Uh, the fans, the fans, they get to vote for whoever they want to. And for whatever reason they want to, they were given that opportunity by the NHL. Whether or not John I got Scott... It. Hang on a sec, Sean. We just got to get you to wrap it up in a minute, okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, but yeah. I was just going to say, is John Scott to blame? Should John Scott have stepped down when the NHL asked him to? But me, personally, the NHL is to blame, and I do believe it's a conspiracy. Yeah, good call, Sean. Thanks very much. Like The All-Star game is supposed to be one thing. What do the fans want? And if a group of fans mobilizes and they say, uh, we want this guy, he's, you know, we think it'd be great if some plug was playing in the uh, uh, in the All-Star game. Let him have it. Just let him have it. Who well, cares? Yeah. Let him have it. Yeah, you set the trap for yourself, I think, by, by opening it up. And it might go this way. And, and the NHL created this mess for itself. Listen, we've got to stand down for the top of the hour. When we come back again, we'll talk about this uh, controversy in, in Alberta education and what's being done to try to protect LGBTQ students and what it means for schools and school boards. Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.